Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, if you would, grab your Bibles. Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27 is where we are today. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some in the back. Um, That is our gift to you. There's some hardbacks uh, back there along with some soft covers. As you turn to Mark chapter 12, let me review from last Sunday. We are in the last week of Jesus' earthly life. Uh, This is Wednesday of Passion Week, and Passion Week, it includes all of the events from Jesus' triumphal entry on Monday to his crucifixion on Friday. Uh, We learned a couple weeks ago that Monday was also called Lamb Selection Day. And what that means is that the Jews were to bring a perfect perfect sacrifice, a perfect lamb to be offered as a sacrifice for sin. And then for the next four days, the religious leaders, what they would do is they would test these lambs and they would scrutinize them just to make sure that they were indeed perfect for the sacrifice itself. So, while all of that is taking place in Jerusalem, um, God the Father is also preparing His Son for the the perfect sacrifice, the the once and for all sacrifice for mankind. So, just as the Jews were having the lambs tested four times, God the Father is also going to test His Son four times. So for the past three Sundays, we watched Jesus pass the first two tests by all the religious leaders. And today we encounter test number three from a group of what we would really say these guys are staunch conservatives. They're called the Sadducees. Now keep in mind, Jesus passes, as Jesus passes every test here, he comes closer and closer and closer to fulfilling God's will. And on Friday, just two days from now, Jesus is going to be humiliated. He's going to be beaten and murdered on a Roman cross for the sole purpose of paying our sin debt. That's where we ended last week. We talked about tax debt, we talked about the government, and we talked about sin debt. So a couple key points from last Sunday. We said that we must pay our tax debt, but only Jesus can pay your sin debt. We must pay our tax debt, but only Jesus can pay your sin debt. We also said that honoring God does not mean that you have to dishonor the government. A lot of people think that you have to do that. You don't. And the reason why is because Jesus, he showed us submission to your government is part of your submission to God. Jesus also told us that that we are to give the government what is rightly theirs and to give God everything else. Why? Because Caesar owned the denarius, but he did not own the people. So last week, we witnessed a beautiful response, really to a trick question by the Pharisees and the Herodians, and and yet we saw Jesus pass this test uh, with an A+, with flying colors. Today, we're going to witness Jesus navigate the waters of test question number three, and this, this question comes from the Sadducees. Really, this question 
it's a silly little riddle that the Sadducees, most likely, they've, they've stumped the Pharisees many, many times in the past with this question, and um, they really haven't got any good answers from the Pharisees. So let's see how Jesus does. How does he handle test number three as the Lamb of God? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Mark chapter 12, verses 18 and following. The Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, they came to him and they questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us, that if a a brother dies, leaving a wife behind, but no child, that that man should take the wife and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first married a woman, and dying, left no offspring. The second also took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. None of the seven left offspring. And then last of all, the woman died too. In the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? since the seven had married her. Jesus spoke to them. He said, Isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? You don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. And as for the the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Father in heaven, let us learn the mistakes from the Sadducees today. As we run through this text, we don't want to be badly mistaken. Lord, please show us and meet us where we are with you this morning, and allow us to not only hear the word, and to interpret the word correctly, but apply this word to our lives this week. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, guys. Have a seat. Hey, Jeff, can you shut that door in front of me here? I'm getting blinded by the light. No pun intended. That's a good one, though. Oh, that's much better. Thank you. All right, let's take a deeper look here at verse 18. The Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, they came to him, so they came to Jesus, and they questioned him. So last week, Jesus passed number two. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they left with their tails between their their legs here. So it didn't take long for the Sadducees to hear about their failure from the Sanhedrin. So they feel like, okay, it's our turn. This is our turn to take a shot at Jesus by ourselves. So the Sadducees, they're different than the group called the Pharisees. They're a much smaller group of men. In fact, our gospel writer, Mark, he only mentions this one conversation specifically with them. The the Sadducees, they only worked in the temple. So they're not out in the public. They're not like the Pharisees. They're not among the people. They were a, of a priestly order like the Pharisees, but their work was basic, basically solely in the operations of the temple itself. That's why they were so upset when Jesus came in and started turning over tables just a few days prior. They were not happy about that. Um, we would say that the Sadducees were, were theologically conservative 
and the Pharisees were theological liberals. The Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection, but the Pharisees did. But the problem with the Pharisees' view of resurrection is that it didn't come from, their, their theology didn't come from the Bible, it didn't come from Scripture. The Pharisees believed that people would have the same problems and the same sicknesses as before the resurrection. That's not good. Politically, the Sadducees, they cooperated with Rome. And, and since they believed that basically this life is the only one that you get. And uh, because of that, they pursued power and wealth and position. The Sadducees, these guys were elitists. They are the wealthiest and they are the most powerful people in all of Israel. They are known for their arrogance and their severity with people. They have a well-known reputation for being mean-spirited and superior and self-righteous. Josephus, he's a historian in the first century, he said this. He said, the Sadducees, even among themselves, they're rather boorish in their behavior. And in their intercourse with their peers, they are as rude as aliens. So this is the kind of people that we're talking about today. Obviously, these folks, they're not popular with the, the Jewish people either. They are most well-known for confidently believing that there is no resurrection. Uh, and they are the only Jews who actually believe this. They claim that, they, that there is no mention of the resurrection in the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is also uh, the Torah, the law. Uh, so in other words, the, the Sadducees, they only believe that the first five books of the Old Testament are truly the authentic word of God. So we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So in a nutshell, these guys idolized Moses. They, they didn't accept the prophets. They didn't read the Proverbs or the Psalms. So they just rejected any possibility of a resurrection. So there's an old joke, you probably heard it, goes like this, that the Sadducees, they don't believe in heaven, and that's what makes them sad. You see, bump, bump, bump. Now, I tell that really cheesy joke because hopefully you'll never forget it. You'll, you'll realize the difference between a Sadducee and a Pharisee. All that to say this. I'm trying to save it here, trying to save it. They believe that there's no life after death. So think about this. If there is no life after death, that means that there are no consequences for how you live your life today. So in other words, they believe there's no judgment from God because you're accountable to no one. And since the Sadducees believe there's no judgment from God, that automatically means that they, they don't need a Savior. Verse 18, the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. So key point number one, just because you say or just because you believe something doesn't make it true. Just because you say or you believe something doesn't automatically make it true. In fact, the Sadducees believed in their own lie about the resurrection. Jesus is going to correct that today. See, our beliefs must be grounded in the Word of God. So back to verse 18. So they came to Jesus and they questioned him. So picture these men, the small group of men, they are walking confidently. These men are proud. They are smug. And they, they ask him, verse 19, they say, Teacher, 
Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife behind but no child, that man should take the wife and raise up offspring for his brother. So the Sadducees, they don't spend as much time with flattery as the Pharisees did just a few moments prior, but they do call him teacher. If you have the old King James Version, um, it's translated master. By calling Jesus teacher or master, they're, they're trying to raise the crowd's expectations for Jesus to answer this, this question correctly. But they're also secretly hoping that he's going to do something wrong. He's going to say it wrong so that the Sadducees, they can label him as an incompetent teacher. And if Jesus is incompetent in his Bible teaching, then he surely can't be the Messiah. So although they call Jesus teacher, they've got no intention of actually learning anything from him. They've got one goal, and that is to make him look as an inept teacher. Now, verse 19, it points back to a law in the Old Testament, and that is the source material for this, for this question today. So let's take a look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5, this is what the Sadducees are referring to. When brothers live on the same property and one of them dies without a son, the wife of the dead man may not marry a stranger outside the family. Her brother-in-law is to take her as the wife having sexual relations with her, and perform the duty of a brother-in-law for her. The first son that she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother, so his name will not be blotted out for, uh, from Israel. So this is called a Leverite marriage. It's also known as a brother-in-law marriage. A Leverite marriage was a law that basically stated just that. If a man dies without any sons, his brother would take the widow as his wife and provide a son for his dead brother. The son would then receive the, de the dead father's inheritance, and also, very, very important, the family line is, is not going to be broken. So, the, the purpose of a Leverite marriage was to keep the inheritance within the tribe and to keep the, the family from dying out. So, I mean, think about that. God, in his mercy for the widow, was keeping her from poverty, keeping her from destitution. Now, this law only applied if the, if the surviving brother was single. Um, yeah, the, the, the law doesn't say you're supposed to divorce your wife and, and take her, nor does it say you're supposed to take an additional wife. All right, everybody with me? Now, it's in, this is an interesting law because it actually predates Moses. It actually precedes the Mosaic law. You can read the story of a man named Onan in Genesis chapter 38. He did not want to do this, and it did not work out well for Onan. God struck him dead. He didn't, um, really the, the most famous passage about a Leverite marriage comes from the book of Ruth, where Boaz marries Ruth, and that's in Ruth chapter 2 and chapter 4. So that's the context for what the, the Sadducees are, are doing here. So let's see the, the setup here. Verse 20. There were seven brothers, and the first married a woman, dying, left no offspring. Okay. The second also took her, but he died and didn't leave any offspring. And then the third likewise. None of the seven left offspring, and then last of all, the woman died too. And so here's the question, verse 23. 
in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife is she going to be since the seven had married her? Now, gentlemen, let me ask you this. Um, if you were brother number eight, what would you be thinking? I'd be thinking, praise God, the black widow is dead. <laughs> Holy smokes. So right from the start, we, we see the Sadducees taking things out of context, right? They're doing theological gymnastics with this. They're really trying to prove how silly the resurrection is, and they're being clever. Uh, they stopped after the number seven because the number seven represents perfection. It, it represents completion from a biblical perspective. They tragically believe that the subject of this, of the resurrection, is a joke. So their question assumes that the future life will be just like this one. It doesn't change whatsoever. So in other words, the Sadducees, they're asking Jesus, how is it possible that one woman can be, can be married to seven men in heaven? You guys see the trick question? All right. Because the question itself, it breaks the law in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is why a man, one man, leaves his father and his mother, and he bonds with his wife, one wife. Both of those are singular, and they become one flesh. All right, so the, the Sadducees, they're implying that when everybody has been resurrected, the woman's going to have seven husbands at the same time in heaven. That clearly violates Genesis 2.24. Um, the Pharisees from last week, they thought that they had Jesus cornered. The Sadducees believe... That they, they're putting him in a no-win situation today as well. They think that they have Jesus cornered with two options. Number one, Jesus either speaks against marriage as one man or one woman, or he's going to have to deny the resurrection. Both of those not good options. So let's, let's see what Jesus says here. Verse 24. Isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? You don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. So Jesus, obviously, he's not playing games here. He's not following their rhetoric. He turns the tables on them, just like he did with the Pharisees last week. He asked them a question. Jesus says, you're mistaken. You guys have wandered away from the truth. You have gone astray. So in a very kind way, Jesus is saying, look, guys, you're wrong. You're just wrong. One commentator said this about verse 24. He said, the audacity of Jesus' accusation of the, of the Sadducees not knowing Scripture is like claiming that Wall Street knows nothing of finance. So Jesus is very bold here. So how are these guys mistaken? Well, key point number two. They assume that the afterlife is going to be identical to this life. They assume that the afterlife is going to be just like this one. Now, dear friends... Please make a note here. Making worldly assumptions on a biblical truth, that's going to lead you to heresy and unbelief and idolatry. Your false assumptions, your worldly interpretations, that's going to lead you away from God. It's not going to bring you closer to him. Why? Verse 24, Jesus says, he says, you don't know. You don't know the scriptures. Most theological errors are simply because we don't know the Bible. 
So in other words, Jesus is saying, you guys claim to be priests, and yet you don't even have the basics, man. You guys need to go to Sunday school. There, there are many, many scripture passages from the, from the Old Testament here that deal with the resurrection. Let me show you a few. Psalm chapter 49, verse 15. God will redeem me from the power of Sheol. So that's the grave. For he will take me. Job chapter 19, verse 25. I know my Redeemer lives, and at the end, he will stand on the dust even after my skin has been destroyed. Yet, I will see God in my flesh. Wow. But the most convincing text is this. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake to eternal life. So that's heaven. And some to disgrace and eternal contempt. That's hell. So, question, why were the Sadducees convinced of the resurrection, not convinced of the resurrection, when we look at these passages? Well, the answer is because they didn't, they didn't look at these passages, right? They, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They thought that this stuff right here was just commentary on the Mosaic Law. Um, so, key point number three we are led astray when we don't trust in the whole counsel of the Bible. We get led astray when we don't trust in the whole or the full counsel of the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. There are churches today that will teach you that you don't need the Old Testament. There are people who believe that you don't need the Ten Commandments. There are people who will say you only need to believe in the Gospels. And dear friend, that's just, it's not true. Jesus reveals that to us here. So if the Sadducees, number one, if they read the whole counsel of God, and number two, if they were teachable, maybe just a little bit teachable, they would have realized that this woman was the bride of Christ in heaven. But they didn't read the Song of Songs. They, they, didn't, they didn't consider Psalm 45, which is the royal wedding psalm. They didn't consider that scripture. And they certainly weren't listening to Jesus with his parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. So dear friends, we are led astray when we don't read and we don't trust the whole counsel of the Bible. Verse 24, he says, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. So key point number four, it's impossible to experience the power of God apart from the Bible. It's impossible to experience the power of God apart from the Bible. And the, the Sadducees, what they did is they prided themselves on Bible knowledge, and yet Jesus is he's just showing them that they're not as smart as they think they are. But in all reality, we have the same problem today. Key point number five, our biggest problem today is, number one, either we don't read the Bible, or number two, we interpret the Bible incorrectly. We do the same thing. We either don't read it, or we interpret Scripture incorrectly. So in other words, we think that this book is about us, and it's not. It's about Jesus. It's 66 love letters about Jesus to bring us into a relationship with him. So behind this, really this stupid little story that the Pharisees conjure up here, excuse me, the Sadducees, they conjure up, it's the assumption that nothing changes if the resurrection is actually true. They assume that life after death is just more of the same thing. Now pause, 
How sad is that? That's pretty pathetic. I mean, all the relationships on earth will continue in heaven with all the same problems? See, that's where philosophy gets you. Philosophy demands rationalism. So in other words, if I don't understand it, I'm not going to believe it. That's an extremely dangerous view, guys. That, that view, it, it leads to the broad road that leads to destruction that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7. So back to verse 24. Jesus says, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Why didn't these Sadducees know the power of God? Well, because they're, they're putting limitations on God. They're reducing God's power, and then they're raising their own. They're, they're, they're putting themselves on the same playing field. That's usually what happens. We either, we either make our knowledge, our finite knowledge, the same as an infinite God, or we just become unteachable because we think we know everything. And we become unteachable because we believe we got it all figured out. I've heard this story before, Dustin. I get it. It's not true. This is the living word of God. So Jesus, he does some teaching here in verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. So Jesus is trying to teach him. They are unteachable, but think about this. Jesus is two days away from these guys murdering him, and he's still trying to save their wretched souls from hell. Wow. Secondly, Jesus' choice of words here in verse 25 is very interesting. To marry, that is a man's role. To be given in marriage, that is a woman's role. But according to Jesus, neither role is relevant after the, after the resurrection. So how does Jesus know this? Because he came from heaven, right? He's the author. He's the designer of marriage. And then thirdly, notice this. This is just so, so beautiful. Notice the, simpli the simplicity of Jesus' answer versus the complexity of their question. Jesus' answer is just so simple and straightforward. He basically says, look, guys, there's no marriage in heaven. You're wrong. And whenever you make a, a fundamental mistake like that and you build your life on a fundamental mistake, uh, everything is unstable. And that's what these men did. Really, our theology on God, it starts in Genesis 1-1. Four little words. In the beginning, God. We either believe that or we don't. And if we do believe that God created life from the very, very beginning, then it shouldn't be hard for us to believe that God's going to recreate life. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this in, in the book of Acts. He says, why do you... Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? See, if we start there, if we start in Genesis 1-1, none of this stuff is hard. Because in the beginning, God. So Jesus is trying to teach the Sadducees here the resurrection. This is not just a minor change, guys. Everything changes. And they had failed to see God's power. It's just, that's going to make everything different. And one of those things is marriage. The resurrection changes the marriage relationship. So let's see how. Verse 25. Jesus says, When they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but rather they're like angels in heaven. 
Notice Jesus, he didn't say if they rise. He said when they rise. So we know that that marriage is a God-ordained earthly union here, that the, the primary purpose of marriage is for procreation. It's for companionship. But in heaven, Jesus is telling us there's no need for procreation because there is no death. Lastly, notice that Jesus says people are like angels. Luke's gospel says this, for they can no longer die. So in a resurrected body, you can no longer die because they are like angels and they're like the children of God. So angels are eternal beings. They don't need to marry. They don't need to bear children to carry on the family line because they're deathless. Also, Jesus specified angels in heaven, meaning the good angels in heaven. He's not talking about the fallen angels on earth. Big distinction there. So in the resurrection, you're going to have what's called a resurrection body. That's a different sermon for a different day. But it's all good news, my friend. I'll get to that here in a second. Verse 26, Jesus says, As for the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Notice where Jesus takes the Sadducees in the Bible. He quotes Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. He specifically deals with their hero, Moses. He doesn't take him to the Psalms. He doesn't take him to Job. He doesn't take him to Daniel that we just looked at a few minutes ago. He takes them right to their Torah, right? The part of the Bible that they accept as Scripture. The part of the Bible that they claimed says nothing about the resurrection. So, why does Jesus do this? Well, he's making the point. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were dead a long time before God spoke to them through Moses. Probably for about 500 years. And by the way, Exodus 3.6, that's not the only place where Jesus could have taken the Sadducees. Um, Let me show you this. Genesis 5.24, he could have taken them um, to the prophet Enoch. He walked with God. And then he was not there. Why? God took him. What's that sound like to you? God raptured Enoch, right? So this verse is about life. It's not about death. God took Enoch from this life, and then he placed him directly into the next. He could have uh, taken them to a very famous passage, Genesis 22.5. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and then we'll come back to you. So this verse implies somehow, some way, Abraham believed that God was going to resurrect Isaac after Abraham sacrificed him as an offering. So back to verse 26. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So the concept of the resurrection, this is not new. Um, Jesus doesn't say, I was the God. It'd be pretty silly for him to say that. He's not the God of dead men. I mean, what's the point of that? Jesus is trying to teach the Sadducees here that God the Father still has a relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob today and forever. So verse 27, Jesus says, He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. 
So Jesus, he just ends the conversation here. Jesus, he's not going to debate with people. He's certainly not going to debate with people that are unteachable because the truth is, is the truth whether you choose to believe it or not. He says, you're badly mistaken. This is the second time Jesus tells these Sadducees that they are mistaken. Now, can't you just picture the Sadducees and all their pride and all their pomp try to swallow that pill? How can we be mistaken? We're experts, right? We're priests. Well, our gospel writer Mark doesn't say how the crowd or the Sadducees responded. However, Matthew records that the crowds, they were astonished at his teaching. Luke says that the Pharisees were impressed. The Pharisees were like, yes, we finally have an answer to this question. And the Sadducees, they were silenced. Isn't that interesting? The Sadducees, they were not repentant from their sin. They were silenced. They, they left. So that brings up a question, right? How do you guys respond when you find out that you've been entirely wrong on an issue that you've you thought you've been right all of your life. How do you respond to that? Do you respond in grace? Do you respond in anger? you a little bit embarrassed? See, the Sadducees had a, had a wrong view of God because they didn't know God. They thought they did. They thought they knew God, but they were wrong. And if they knew God, they would have worshipped Jesus as God instead of asking him a dumb question. I thought about titling this message, There Are No Dumb Questions, except this one. I thought that might be a little snarky, though. You know, volumes of books have been written about death and resurrection and the afterlife and heaven and hell for, for the past 2,000 years. And the one thing that I want to leave you with today really deals with the nature of who God is. The very nature of God demands a resurrection because throughout the Old Testament, God has made promises to his people. Now, you and I, we break our promises, but God does not. Although death will separate you from your friends and from your family, um, temporarily, Death is not going to separate you from God for one nanosecond. The moment you take your last breath here is the moment you see Jesus. Death does not change your relationship with God. It simply brings you into a new chapter with God. God is using this life to prepare you for the next. So think about this. God is especially using all your trials and all your pain and all your heartache for your good, for his glory, to prepare you for one thing. God is preparing you to die. One of the reasons that you come back to church week after week after week is, number one, preparation for death, and number two, for community. Because as the church, we are to bear one another's burdens. You can't do that at home sitting alone. Are you guys prepared? Are you prepared for your next health crisis? For your next financial burden? Your next relationship issue? Because it's coming. And if you don't know the Word of God and you haven't been applying the Word of God, 
you know, there's a good chance that you're going to freak out on the minor things of life versus the majors. Now, we know that there is a resurrection because Jesus said this in John chapter 11, verse 25. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he's going to live. So Jesus proved this verse to be true by walking out of his own grave. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, he says, I am the first, I'm the last, I'm the living one. I'm the living one. I'm the living one. I was dead. But look, I'm alive. Forever and ever, I'm alive. Now, dear friends, please know this. Eternal life is not automatic. Jesus says this, John chapter 11, verse 26. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. To have eternal life, it means that you must believe that Jesus is God. And if you believe that Jesus is God, then dear friend, please know this. You've got nothing to fear. Death is nothing to fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, think about this. Death is the worst thing that sin can do. So if death is the worst thing that you're going to experience in this life, but Jesus conquered sin and death, what's that mean? It means death has lost its power. Death has no more control over you. God's going to give you a new body that doesn't sag or jiggle. Everything about you guys, everything, everything about your personality is going to be glorified through Christ. Your love, your humor, your charm, you're going to be more loving, you're going to be more witty, you're going to be more charming and glorious than, than ever. Why? Because you're no longer stained with sin. You're going to be truly alive for the first time. So let's, let's learn a lesson from the Sadducees today. They expected the future to be like the past. And Jesus tells them, look, guys, you're dead wrong. Wrong. And if we somehow believe that our eternal life is going to even resemble this one a little bit, then we're limiting God in our faith. Lastly, please know that there are two resurrections. There's one to life and there's one to death. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus in this life, you're not going to have one with him in the next. That's just common sense. Meaning, if you don't want Jesus on earth, you certainly won't want him in heaven. Please know that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, your sins are not forgiven. You do not have peace with God. You still have a sin debt that must be paid, and it will be paid by you. As the bumper sticker says, good people don't go to heaven, forgiven sinners do. And if you guys, if you don't allow Jesus to pay your sin debt, you're not going to be resurrected to life. You're going to be resurrected to death for all of eternity. You're going to pay for your own sins for all of eternity in a very real place called hell. 
I said it last week. I'll repeat it again. Hell is too hot. It's too long for you to be wrong. Guys, please, please, please don't be mistaken. Don't be like a Sadducee today. The Lord is leading you to do some business with him. Please don't leave here without asking for prayer, getting some questions answered. We have a, a prayer room through the foyer and to the right. We would love to spend some time with you there. Father in heaven, we do not want to be badly mistaken today. Lord, continue to press into us what you're doing. And it doesn't matter what it, it doesn't matter if we're we're going through a health crisis. It doesn't matter if we're going through a, a financial calamity. It doesn't it doesn't matter if we've got relationship issues with our children or our grandchildren or our neighbors or our employers. Lord, I pray that you press into where we need you the most and that we would realize that this next life, there are two options. And Lord, we choose life. And for those of us who call River home, Lord God, may we continue to, to, to speak and to share this good news that Jesus paid our sin debt on that cross. He is the once and for all sacrifice. So Lord God, thank you. Thank you for him. Thank you that he is our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.